Well, if you've got a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 1. We heard the passage from last week, get read just a moment ago by Pastor Charlie. So that was 1 through 5. This morning we're in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1. Uh, there's a bare bones outline on the very back of the handout there or somewhere in the worship guide. If that's helpful for you to keep an eye on as, as we move along. There's ESV Bibles out the double doors here. If you want to grab one of those, that's what I'll be preaching from. If you'd rather have that copy in front of you, it'll certainly be helpful to, uh, to help to have the Bible open in front of you as, as we move along. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Um, I wonder what, uh, what makes you really mad. Um, so we're all different. You know, some of us are more given to anger than others. But I wonder what it is that, that really gets under your skin that'll really upset you, really, really make you angry. Sometimes it's silly stuff. So uh, I remember we were driving, we moved here from Maine. So I remember being in Maine, we were in Bangor eating supper, and then we were driving back to our house in Holden, Maine, about a 20 minute drive. So we're in the car and uh, I reached back in the van to get something for one of the kids. And the floor back there was soaked, it was soaking wet. And I instantly knew what had happened. So there's this sippy cup that one of the kids had, I think actually multiple of the kids had this particular sippy cup and it had leaked. And the whole point of a sippy cup is that it's not supposed to leak, right? That's why we pay money to buy sippy cups. That's why we don't give them grown-up cups because a sippy cup isn't supposed to leak. This one had leaked. It had done it multiple times before. I'd given this cup multiple chances and this was sort of the final straw. So I had a 20 minute drive to think about what I was gonna do. This is so silly, uh, but I'm already your pastor, so sorry. Can't do anything about it now. So we're driving home and I think about this plan and then I sort of work it back over in my head a couple of times to think like, should I really do this? And then by the time I get home, I think this is a great plan. I'm going to do this thing. And so it's the main winter. It's probably like January or February, snow everywhere. So I get the kids in the house and Marie in the house. And then I walk out on the back porch and I've got this sippy cup and there's woods like vast main wilderness behind our house. And I just throw that cup as far as I can into the main woods for a bear to find it or for no human to ever see it again. I still feel great about that decision. It felt great when I did it. It feels great thinking about it now. I was pretty upset with that sippy cup. So you hear that, you can probably think of yourself, particular situations, something that, that makes you angry, something that, that makes you mad, stuff like that is sort of silly. Well, the, the writers of Scripture, they're, they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when they're writing. So they write exactly what God wants written. And, and what that means is you'll never see them commending anger of a stupid situation. Like, like with that sippy cup, you're not going to see that kind of thing there. But, but they still do get angry. So you can think about the Lord's anger in the Old Testament oftentimes with Israel or with the uh, opposing nations. Or you can think about Jesus' anger in the temple when he flips over the furniture and chases some people away with, with whips. Well, we see Paul get angry in our passage this morning. In fact, Paul gets so angry at a group of people that he says they deserve to end up in hell. That's what we're going to see in this passage. So what is it that made him so mad? And does that thing, by way of application, does that thing make us mad? The way that it made Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mad. So keep that in mind. Hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. This is what Paul says. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, well, we're going to see at least four main ideas in this passage. That's what's there in the outline. That's the way we'll work through the passage. All of them are logically connected. So first thing we're going to see, a distortion of the gospel is a desertion of the gospel. So in other words, when you fiddle with the gospel, you're really abandoning the gospel. You're turning to something else completely. A distortion of the gospel is a desertion of the gospel. Second, a desertion of the gospel is a desertion of God. Third, what, what all that means when you put those two things together is that we should be angry about distorted gospels. And then finally, if you take God's advice on being angry about distorted gospels, then prepare to be unpopular. Those are the four things we're going to draw out of this passage. So first, a distortion of the gospel is a desertion of the gospel. Well, right off the bat, let's understand our terminology. The word gospel is used four times in our passage. That's a lot. Anytime a word shows up. So as you read the Bible and study the Bible, that's something you're always looking for. Are there repeated words or phrases here? That's significant. The author's trying to, to show you there's a focus there where the word gospel shows up four times in our passage. That, that word is central, obviously, to the Bible and Christianity. We talk about that oftentimes here in this church. It's a combination of two Greek words. So gospels, two Greek words, good the second word is message or news. So good news, that's what gospel means. And what is the good news of Christianity? Like we saw last week summarized in Paul's greeting in verse 3, the good news of Christianity is, because, is that sinners can have peace with the holy God because of what Christ did to pay for our sins. That we're connected to him by faith alone and Christ alone. His blood covers all of our sins and then we're reconciled to God. That's the gospel, the good news of Christianity. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, or don't know what you think about Jesus, that's the good news that we have to offer you this morning. And if you're interested in talking more about that, come talk to me or one of the other pastors, send me an email. It'd be great to talk about the gospel with you, the good news that your sins can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to God through faith alone in Christ alone. And this is the gospel Paul had preached to the people in Galatia. And it's the gospel so many of them had believed. We looked at that last week, Acts 13 and 14 in particular. Talk about Paul going throughout these cities in Galatia, preaching that gospel that I just talked about. But it turns out there can be knockoff versions of the gospel. There can be fake gospels. Look at the way Paul says it in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay, so there's the real gospel, but then there's also fake gospels. Paul says in verse 6, the Christians in Galatia are being tempted to turn away from the real gospel, turn to a different gospel. Now, what does that look like on the ground? What does it look like when, they, when these teachers are turning? They're preaching a false gospel. The Christians are thinking about turning from the real gospel because it's obviously a huge deal to turn away from the gospel to turn away from the good news of Christianity. So, so what does it look like? We might think it, it must be a total repudiation of Jesus, where these false teachers are just bad-mouthing Jesus, the way oftentimes happens in our culture. 
They're just telling people to, to turn away completely from the Bible in every way. So is that what turning to a different gospel looks like? Not in the case of these false teachers in Galatia. It wasn't near that obvious. It was much more subtle. In fact, Paul will make clear later on in the letter the main way that these false teachers were distorting the gospel. And here it is. The false, and this is what we're going to see all throughout the rest of our study in Galatians. These false teachers said the way for somebody to be justified in God's eyes, which just means that he declares you innocent. Justified, remember, it's, it's law court imagery. The way for somebody to be declared innocent in God's eyes, the way for their sins to be covered, the way for them to become God's child was through faith in Christ plus certain good works. That's what these false teachers were saying. And being circumcised in particular, first and foremost, that was sort of the main thing that they were saying. Paul makes that clear for us several places in this letter. Let's look at just a few. Look over at chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, I went up. He's talking about going up to Jerusalem. This is years before. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, so, so Paul is talking about meeting with these Christian leaders in Jerusalem. He tells them the one true gospel, and he's waiting to sort of test them. He wants to see if they are going to say, no, 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 that's not the true gospel. And then they would roll out a fake gospel. So he's waiting for this test. What's the test? Chapter two, verse three. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. So the issue of circumcision is, is front and center. If these guys in Jerusalem had said, hey, Titus, he's not circumcised. He needs to be circumcised. He needs to fulfill these parts of the Old Testament law then Paul would have known they were rejecting the one true gospel. They, would, they were adding to what was necessary for somebody to be justified. It's not just faith alone in Christ, it's faith plus some good works. He makes it even more explicit. Flip over to chapter 5, verse 2. And there he says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So that's something, right? The, the bad guys in Galatia, they weren't telling people to reject Jesus or turn away from God's commands or ignore the scriptures or anything like that. They were simply telling people they needed to add one extra requirement for salvation. So they were saying, yeah, sure, it is faithful. It's faith in Christ. Yeah, definitely. We'll give you that. But you also have to have to do this extra thing. They were different in that way. Paul and the other apostles said salvation came by faith alone in Christ alone. But, but these false teachers were saying it came by faith in Christ plus circumcision. So you can see how they were twisting the gospel ever so slightly. The way Paul says in verse 7, you can see how they were distorting the gospel. They weren't throwing out the whole thing. They were just tweaking it. They, they were adjusting part of it. It's not faith alone. It's faith plus a few good works. Now, now, how big of a deal could that be? You know, they weren't saying that uh, that justification wasn't by faith in Christ. No, they, that sentence, they would say the same thing, at least the beginning of it, Paul would say, of course, justification is by faith in Christ. They're just adding something to it. Why is that such a big deal? You know, if, if your boss gave you some extra responsibilities at work, 
you might be displeased with that, but you wouldn't describe it as losing your job. No, it's just something that maybe you don't really like. Something is added to it. But look again at how Paul categorizes it when somebody adds something to the gospel. Verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Okay, so the logic is really clear here. Praise the Lord. When people like us, you know, not geniuses, but we can see the connections here. It's really logical. This is what Paul just said. In verse 7, he says that a distortion of the gospel equals, in verse 6, what he says is a desertion of the gospel. A distortion of the gospel is a desertion of the gospel. It's, it's these guys turning to a completely different gospel. When you move to a new city, some of you understand this. Some of you grew up here and you're adults here now, and so you haven't experienced this. But you've got to get used to the highways, right? And so I'm good, basically, praise the Lord. Feel good about Kernersville and High Point, even Greensboro. There's parts of Winston, downtown Winston, where even though I've driven it several times, you're on the interstate and there's all those options and they come at once. And you've got to decide which one you're supposed to do. And the GPS always isn't always helpful because the little blue line, there's like three roads that are right next to each other. And you can't tell which one the, the thing is going on. And so I'll turn on to one of them. It doesn't seem like a big mistake because, again, those three lines are right next to each other. But what happens if you get on the wrong one? It ends up being a big mistake because you're taking the complete opposite direction of where you're trying to go. That's what Paul is saying that these false teachers are doing. It, it, it looks like a slight twist on the gospel. They're just one lane over, right? What's the big deal? You're headed the same direction, at least for a time. But then it ends up pivoting you, and you're somewhere completely different. You're on a whole different highway. You're headed a different direction. So Paul is saying here. A slight twist on the gospel is actually a completely different gospel. It's a fake gospel. Verse 6 again, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. A distortion of the gospel is the desertion of the gospel. And here's what's significant about that. A different gospel can't save. That's why this is significant. A different gospel can't save. If someone deserts the one and only gospel, they are going to perish. So Paul makes clear, he's saying that with the first phrase in verse 7. Let's look back up at verse 6 and then we'll roll into verse 7. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Okay, that's significant. So Paul calls this distorted gospel, he calls it a different gospel. But then he's sure to rush in and say, but hey, don't get the wrong idea. It's not really a gospel at all. You see why he's being careful about those words is because he knows what that word means. It means good news. And this fake distorted gospel, it's not good news. Look back over at chapter five, verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Okay, so under these false teachers, under their fake gospel, Jesus would be of no advantage to somebody. That's not good news. 
That is bad news. But that's what a distortion of the gospel will get someone. As soon as you fiddle with it, you lose it. The gospel is gone. So, so you can see why distorting the gospel is so significant. A distortion of the gospel is a desertion of the gospel. But our second point, the, the trouble doesn't stop there. It's not just that a distortion of the gospel is a desertion of the gospel. It's also a desertion of God. The desertion of the gospel is also a desertion of God. Look at how Paul frames this whole discussion up at the beginning of verse 6. We've read it a few times. Let's pay attention to it now. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So when someone turns away from the one true gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the truth that we're made right with God through Christ alone, not because of our own efforts, we're justified by Jesus' efforts alone and our trust in him alone, when someone turns away from that gospel, they're also turning away from God. Like Paul says in verse 6, we're deserting him who called us. Look at what Paul points out about God in, in the rest of verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now that word grace just means a gift. Salvation is a gift. Sinners being justified in his sight, having our sinful record erased by the person and work of Jesus, it's a gift, and it's a costly gift. Look over at chapter 2, verse 20. The second half there of verse 20 in chapter 2. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, so Jesus, his person, the life he lived, his, his death on the cross for sins, that's the gift that God gives us in the gospel. And here's what Paul points out about these false teachers and, and what they're saying, the false gospel that some folks around the churches were teaching. They were saying that this gift from God wasn't good enough. That's what they were saying. If somebody adds a requirement to the gospel above what God says, they're saying that the gift of the gospel from God is not good enough. That They were saying, sure, salvation requires Jesus, but not Jesus by himself. We need something else, these false teachers were saying. They were saying salvation came by faith in Christ, plus the males being circumcised and, and everybody keeping parts of the Old Testament law. So think about it this way. It's almost Christmas. So we're about to experience the time where we're giving presents to one another and we're opening presents. When these false teachers open up the present of the gospel and they see that the box contains Jesus alone, what they say is not good enough. That's what they say, not good enough. What we really need is Jesus plus some of our good works. See, by doing that, they have rejected the gift giver. Verse six, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. When someone distorts the gospel or, or accepts a distorted gospel, they're saying the real thing isn't good enough, and that's a desertion of God. So do you see how horrible this is? The, the God of the universe became a man, gave his life to pay for our sins, and every false gospel throws that gift back in God's face and says, that's not good enough. That's what false gospels do. What, what a horrible thing to desert God. 
And Paul knows these folks in the churches of Galatia had heard the one true gospel because he's the one that, that preached it to them. They had heard the genuine article. And these are the same folks who are entertaining the false gospel and they're, they're now hearing. Look at Paul's surprise. He, he's shocked by this. Look at how he leads off verse six. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says the same thing again in chapter four, verse 20. He says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed. I'm confused about you. Verse six again, I'm astonished. He, he can't believe it. So not only is a distorted gospel a desertion of the real gospel, an abandonment of salvation, it's also a rejection of God and all he's done for us in Christ. A desertion of the gospel is a desertion of God. Okay, so, so by way of application, what do we do with this? We've got point one and two. What do we do when we put them together? But Because this is as much a live issue for us today as it was 2,000 years ago in Galatia. This is something that has never gone away. It'll never go away until Christ comes back. There will always be these kinds of false gospels. So there are authors and pastors and churches today who distort the gospel in the same kind of way that these false teachers were here in Galatia. There are authors and pastors and churches today who would say the way for someone to have their sins forgiven and become God's child is through faith in Christ plus baptism. That's a real thing. There are churches in our town that you could go and find that preach that false gospel. Justification is through faith in Christ plus baptism or salvation comes through faith in Christ plus living a godly life. And they would say, sure, God's grace is what enables us to do that, but it's still the same. They're saying it's faith in Christ plus living a godly life or salvation comes through faith in Christ plus the exercise of some miraculous spiritual gift. And if you don't have that, then you're not a child of God. And, and thankfully, some of these churches are completely upfront about it. You might think this would be something that you would want to cover up. It should be. But some churches have integrity about it and they'll just put it there. So if you're ever interested and you think, you know what? I wonder if this particular church is preaching a false gospel in the way that the false teachers in Galatia were. You can pull up their statement of faith if they have one. And you can look for a section on justification. Now, they might not have a statement of faith on the website. Their statement of faith might not deal with justification. More and more, there's less of that. But if they have a section on justification, you can see what's listed as a requirement for somebody to be justified in God's eyes. Is it faith in Christ alone or is it faith in Christ plus baptism or plus some other work? If it's the second, that's a false gospel. So I say all that to say this is a live issue. We have a situation that was the same in this way as the folks in Galatia. So how should we respond to distorted gospels? The Holy Spirit speaks through Paul in our passage, so let's follow his example. How did Paul respond? Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So what's Paul saying here? Well, right off the bat, we should understand whatever he is saying, he's really emphasizing it because he repeats the phrase twice. And in this culture, they didn't have italics or bold font or underline. They didn't do things like that. No, if you wanted to emphasize something in a letter, you repeated it. 
Paul repeats this twice, almost verbatim. It's something that he doesn't do often in his epistles. That's significant. Okay, he's emphasizing this. So what is the point? Well, generally, it's that anyone proclaiming a false gospel is in big trouble. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, that word accursed, obviously, that's important to understand. Your translation could say, let him be anathema. That's actually the, the Greek word there. They've just transliterated it, anathema. But accursed, that's a good translation as, as well. Here, here's what it means, though, because we don't oftentimes use that term. I doubt you said something was accursed this past week or heard somebody else say that. This word, the Greek word behind it, comes from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. And what that word means is devoted to God's destruction. That's what that word means. So if you're comfortable writing in your Bible, if you write notes, that could be helpful to write in the margin there. So when it says anathema or accursed, that's what it means. Devoted to God's destruction. Listen to Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. This is the Hebrew word behind the Greek word here. Joshua 6, 17, this is the Lord giving instructions about the city of Jericho when the walls fall down. This is what he says. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So God was going to pull out his full, pour out his full judgment on that city. They're devoted to destruction. That's the Hebrew word Paul has in mind when he writes this in verse 8. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be, we could sub in, devoted to God's destruction. Or the way the NIV says it, I think it's really helpful. Let him be eternally condemned. Paul's talking about eternal judgment in hell. Okay, so now we can translate it even shorter and punchier. We could say it this way. If someone preaches a fake gospel, let him end up in hell. That's what Paul is saying. Now let that, let that sink in. If someone preaches a fake gospel, let him end up in hell. That's intense, isn't it? I think some of us, if we were there with Paul when he said it, we might even be tempted to say, Paul, good grief, man. Like, tone it down a little bit. Isn't that over the top? You know what? Don't talk like that. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he does talk like that. So why is he so mad? And, and why should we get mad about distorted gospels? Again, it's because of what the preaching of a false gospel will do to someone if they believe it. Like we saw in our first two points, false gospels, they, they simultaneously turn people away from God and send them to hell. That's what false gospels do. They simultaneously turn somebody away from God and toward hell. Paul knows if, if someone were to believe this distorted gospel, they would end up away from God for all eternity. Listen again to chapter 5, verse 2. We've come to it several times, but just to help us understand how significant this is, chapter 5, verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, if you believe this false gospel, Christ will be of no advantage to you, zero. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed, you're cut away from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So if the Galatians were actually to believe this false gospel that's being preached to them, if they were to think circumcision was necessary for their justification, they'd be 
trading away Jesus. He, he would become of no advantage to them. They'd be spiritually lost. That's why Paul is angry. And, and Paul's not alone in this. He's not unique in this kind of anger. Again, we talked about it before. You remember when Jesus gets so mad, he flips over those tables and chases people away with whips? That's intense, isn't it? That's sort of a surprise when it happened. What was it that made him so mad? Remember what he says? He says the temple is supposed to be a house of prayer. Okay, what's he getting at with that? What he means is Israel's job was to take the gospel to the world. Israel's job was to show sinners how they could be reconciled to a holy God. They were trying to connect sinners to God. At least that, that was the job description. But, but the Pharisees and others had rejected that purpose, and they were just trying to, to make money. They were exploiting people that came into the temple. So they, they weren't working to connect them to God. And that made Jesus furious, so mad he is tipping over tables. And these false teachers in Galatia are preaching a distorted gospel that will keep people away from the Lord. That same thing that made Jesus so mad. And this isn't the only spot in Galatians where Paul deals harshly with these teachers. Flip over to chapter 4, verse 30, and see how he tells the Galatian Christians to respond to these false gospel preachers. Chapter 4, verse 30, he says, but what does the scripture say about people preaching this kind of false gospel, this man-centered gospel? Cast out the slave woman and her son. So pitch them away, get them away from you, these false teachers. Look at what he says about him in chapter 5, verse 7. Probably the most cutting comments in any of Paul's epistles. Chapter 5, verse 7 and following, he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you, these false teachers, will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So do you think Paul is mad? Yes, he is. Just like Jesus was mad about false gospels and just like we should be mad too. Verse 9 in our passage. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And it's important to notice here, Paul doesn't base his reaction on the intentions of these false teachers. He doesn't base it on whether they're genuine or not. They, they could be completely genuine. After all, here in our passage, he, he says it doesn't matter if an angel comes down from heaven preaching a, a different gospel. You know, who's, who's sweeter than an angel? Who's more reliable than, than an angel? Now, Paul, Paul, he's being hyperbolic here. He knows an angel is not going to preach a false gospel. But he's making a point. He, he says it doesn't even matter if Paul himself comes back to them preaching a different gospel. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So see, when it comes to false gospels, intentions are irrelevant. We need to hear that in our culture. When it comes to preaching a false gospel, somebody's intentions, whether they're genuine or not, irrelevant. In fact, flip over to the book of Philippians if you've got a Bible open. 
It's a good event to sit next to this one in Galatians. In Philippians chapter one, Paul's talking about these guys who were preaching the real gospel, but they're doing it from bad motives. You might remember this. Look at what he says. Philippians chapter one, verse 17. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So they're doing it from bad motives. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is important to recognize. Isn't the spirit of that verse so different from the spirit here in Galatians 1? It is. The tone is totally different. Now, in Philippians, Paul, Paul doesn't condone their behavior. So these guys, bad motives, but they're preaching the real gospel. He doesn't say, oh, it's not a big deal. They can have bad motives. They'll be fine. No, he's not condoning their behavior. They're, they're in the wrong because of their motives. But Paul isn't angry in the passage in Philippians like he is in the passage in Galatians. Why? Because the real gospel is still being proclaimed, even though the motives are bad. Now, the situation he's angry about is the one in Galatia where it's a false gospel that's being proclaimed. When it comes to false gospels, intentions are irrelevant. You know, it, it doesn't matter how genuine the priest is when he says that you're justified by faith in Christ plus a holy life lived. It doesn't matter how genuine the pastor is who, who says you're only justified once you're baptized. No, verse 9 in our passage, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The preacher who proclaims a, a false gospel is calling on people to desert God and run toward hell. That's what is at stake here. Okay, now, now we're all built different in terms of our temperament, right? Every person here, our temperament is, is at least a few clicks away from other people. Some of us, it's, it's a vast difference. So when some of us get angry, it, it, it shows a lot more clearly than when others of us get angry because we're built different by the Lord. You know, for some of us, our, our volume goes up when we get angry. For some of you guys, your volume actually goes down when you get angry. Some of us talk more when you're angry and some of us talk less. So if you're married, you understand these things in your spouse. You could list the ways it looks when your spouse gets angry versus you. We're, we're all different, right? But the point is of this passage, whatever it looks like for you to get angry, that's what it should look like when you hear a distorted gospel. That's the point. Now, your anger won't look exactly like everybody else's, but you've got a baseline. You know what it looks like for you to be angry. That's what it should look like when you hear about distorted gospels. So whatever it looks like for you to get angry, that's what you should look like when you hear about the priest down the road telling a building full of people that their sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus plus living a holy life. Whatever it looks like for you to get angry, that's what it should look like. Whatever it looks like for you to get angry, that's what it should look like when, when you hear that your neighbor's preacher says someone becomes God's child through faith in Jesus plus baptism. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So be angry about distorted gospels. Let's think just real quick for a moment about something that maybe it's easier for us to be angry about because I think that might help us. So think about the abortion industry. Does that make us mad? Yes. It makes us mad. It makes us angry. Why? 
because they take earthly life. That makes us angry. Okay, well, how much more angry should we be about a false gospel that takes eternal life? It should make us mad. There is one imperative in our passage, and it's to consider those who teach a distorted gospel to be accursed, to be devoted to God's destruction. Because of, of points one and two above, be angry about false gospels. Now, as we close, we need to be upfront about the fact that this kind of thinking and talking, what I just said, if you played this sermon for some of those pastors that would preach a false gospel or just people generally in our culture, they're not going to think I'm great. <laughs> okay, this kind of thinking and talking, this doesn't win us any popularity contests. It's our final point this morning. Be prepared to be unpopular. There's really nothing less popular in our day and age than telling someone or a group of people that they're wrong about something. We know that. That does not make people happy. That makes people mad, especially when you're saying they're wrong about something that has eternal consequences and that the Lord is upset about that thing. It certainly didn't make the false teachers around Galatia like the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So because Paul is a servant of Christ on this issue, he understands he will not please man. People generally will not be happy with him. So be prepared to be unpopular. Paul, Paul could think of the options. He could have put his head down and just acted like he and these false teachers were all on the same team. That would have been an easy thing to do. He wouldn't have even had to say anything. He probably wouldn't have had to verbally acknowledge it. He just would have to not get upset about it, right? Just keep your head down, Paul. Then everybody will just assume you're all on the same team. He, he could have held his tongue and not said anything. That certainly would have saved him a, a lot of trouble. He makes it clear that, that he was being persecuted because of his stand against these false teachers. He makes that clear in chapter 5, verse 11, and chapter 4, verse 29. But Paul knew he couldn't be quiet. He, he couldn't pretend that he and the false gospel teacher were on the same team because Paul knew they weren't. And that made these guys mad at Paul, and, and so they attacked him. They said Paul was only in it for himself. He, he was only trying to advantage himself through his ministry to the Galatian Christians. And taking this kind of stand, it, it'll oftentimes produce the same kind of anger today. There's an offense of the cross. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says there, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So he says, basically, if you preach circumcision, you won't be persecuted. If you preach it, or if you don't preach circumcision, you will be persecuted. And this is why. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So what's he mean there, the offense of the cross? What he's saying is that man has no part in our salvation. It's Jesus alone. You open the present, it's Christ alone that's in there. It's not our efforts. And that message will always upset our sinful flesh. That's the offense of the cross, at least the way he talks about it in, in this passage. And that led the false teachers to attack Paul, and it'll be the same for us. Chapter 4, verse 29 says the same thing. He says, but just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. So 
So for a host of reasons, when, when we let distorted gospels make us angry the way they made Paul angry and Jesus angry and the Lord angry, that will make people angry at us. But the good news is we're not trying to please men. We're not trying to please men. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? No, we're seeking the approval of God. And, and we know that for anyone, us or anyone else, to get the approval of God and avoid his just eternal condemnation, we have to come to him empty-handed, believing the one true gospel, that justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you have rescued us. Father, you, you've rescued us from trying to please man, and we're thankful for that. But, but Father, most of all, you have rescued us from the just wrath that we deserve because of a life of sin. And Father, we understand that, that if it was up to our own efforts in the slightest, Father, that box that contains the gift of the gospel, if it contained Jesus Christ, but it also contained just, just an ounce of our effort, just an hour of us trying to faithfully follow you while we're in this sinful flesh and this sinful world, Father, we, we would not make it into heaven. We understand that, that what's commanded to get into heaven is a perfect life. We don't have that. No human around us will ever have that. But Father Christ had that, and you give us access to his life through faith alone, apart from any works, faith alone in Christ alone. Father, we, we want to be dogged about how that is the one true gospel. We don't ever want to give that up. And Father, we want to be in clear opposition against fake gospels, distorted gospels, that will lead somebody to turn away from you, the good gift giver, and to run toward hell. So we know that there, there's no more serious activity we can be engaged in than believing this gospel, proclaiming it, and pushing back, Father, against distorted gospels. We pray that as a church, that we would be marked by these things. Father, not because of any pride, but, but because of humility. Because we know that we could never be justified in your eyes if it had anything to do with us. And Father, that, that we'd be dogged about this because of love for our neighbor because we know that, that no non-Christian can be reconciled to you unless they believe in this one true gospel. Father, we pray that you would spread that one true gospel throughout this region, and Father, that it would continue to travel to the ends of the earth and reconcile sinners to you for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.